section seven of the inheritance by susan edmonstone farrier this librivox recording is in the public domain volume one chapter seven most musical most melancholy milton dinner passed heavily for although its arrangements were faultless there was a want of that ease which is the essence of good cheer the evening entertainment was still worse for lord rossville piqued himself upon his musical talents and miss st clair whose taste and execution were both of a superior order was doomed to the tortures of his lordship's accompaniment his false chords his overstrained cadences his palsied shakes his tones half and whole grated upon her ear and she felt that music and melody were sometimes very different things he affected to despise all music except that of the great composers and chose for the subject of his execution beethoven's symphonia pastoral here said he as he placed it before his niece and himself observe the great point is to have your mind duly impressed with the ideas these grand and characteristic movements are designed to express here we have in the first place the prospect we must of course infer that it is a fine or pleasing prospect such for example as we view to-day that the great composer intended to represent let your movements therefore be graceful and aerial light and shade hill and dale wood and water then follows the rivulet that i need scarcely inform you must be expressed by a gentle murmuring liquid trickling measure next we have the village dance brisk gay and exhilarating rustic but not vulgar as a powerful contrast to these simple scenes now bursts upon us the storm awful sublime overpowering as the conflict of the elements howling winds descending torrents hail thunder lightning all must be conveyed here or the mighty master's aim is rendered abortive to soothe the mind after this awful explosion of genius we wind up the whole with a shepherd's song breathing the soft accents of peace and pastoral innocence and now da capo miss st clair might well shudder at the prospect before her and her tortures were exquisite when she found her ear taste feeling science all placed under the despotic sway of his lordship's bow and foot but at length her sufferings were ended by the sound of supper ha exclaimed he starting up it seems we take no note of time here this was a favourite jeu de mots of the earl's and indeed it was suspected that he sometimes allowed himself to be surprised for the pleasure of repeating it supper was nearly over when the trampling of horses barking of dogs ringing of bells and all the usual clamour which attends the arrival of a person of distinction caused a sensation in the company lady betty asked what that was while she took her favourite on her lap and covered it with her pocket-handkerchief from beneath which however issued ever and anon a low asthmatic growl 
it is colonel delmour my lady answered the pompous maitre d'hotel who had dispatched a messenger to inquire it is an extraordinary and somewhat improper time of night i think but his lordship's remarks were stopped by the entrance of the party in question merely touching his uncle's hand as he passed him and scarcely noticing lady betty colonel delmour advanced to mrs and miss st clair and paid his compliments to them with all the graceful high-bred ease of a man of fashion then calling for a chair he seated himself by his cousin seemingly regardless of one having been placed by lord rossville's orders on the other side of the table colonel delmour was strikingly handsome both in face and form and he possessed that high hereditary air of fashion and freedom which bore the impress of nobility and distinction there might perhaps be something of hauteur in his lofty bearing but it was so qualified by the sportive gaiety of his manners that it seemed nothing more than that elegant and graceful sense of his own superiority to which even without arrogance he could not be insensible he talked much and well and in that general way which allowed every one to take a part in the conversation without suffering any one not even the earl to monopolize it altogether his presence was like sunshine upon frost-work and an air of ease and gaiety succeeded to the dullness and constraint which had hitherto prevailed lady betty had three times asked what brought you here at this time of night before colonel delmore answered at last he said two very powerful motives though scarcely fit to be named together the first was my eagerness to do homage here bowing gracefully to miss st clair the other was to avoid the honour of driving miss pratt i thought mr lindsay was to have returned with you said the earl i offered him a seat in my curricle which he wanted to transfer to miss pratt but i could not possibly agree to that arrangement so he remains like a prue chevalier to escort her in a hackney chaise and also i believe to attend a bible meeting or a charity sermon or something of that sort it is more i suspect as a paymaster than a protector that his services are required as he discovered it would cost her i can't tell how many shillings and sixpences and though i would willingly have paid her expenses yet really to endure her company for a nine-mile tete-a-tete was more than my philosophy dreamt of much depends on the manner in which things are said as to the impression they convey to the unreflecting mind colonel delmore's voice and accent were uncommonly pleasing and he had an air of gay good-humour that gave to his words rather the semblance of airy levity than of selfishness or ill-nature even when he carelessly sketched on the tablecloth a caricature of mr lindsay with a large bible under his arm handing miss pratt with a huge bandbox in hers into a hackney chaise gertrude could not resist a smile at their expense miss pratt coming here to-morrow exclaimed the earl in a tone expressive of anything but pleasure that is somewhat an unexpected and his lordship made an effort as if to bolt some word too hard for utterance then addressing mrs st clair though with a very disturbed look as in all probability madam 
that lady's visit is designed out of compliment to you and your daughter it is necessary previous to her arrival that you should be aware of the degree of relationship subsisting between miss pratt and the members of this family lord rossville's air looks manner hems all portended a story it was but too evident that breath was collecting and reminiscences arranging for the purpose and the pause that ensued was prophetic not alas of its end but of its beginning but colonel delmer seemed quite aware of the danger that was impending and just as his uncle had opened his mouth with miss pratt's great-grandfather he interposed i beg pardon but i cannot think of devolving the task of being miss pratt's chronicle upon you as i was guilty of introducing her to the company mine be the punishment of becoming her biographer then with a rapidity which left the earl with his mouth open and miss pratt's great-grandfather still vibrating on his tongue he went on miss pratt then by means of great-grandfathers and great-grandmothers who par parenthese may commonly be classed under the head of great bores is somehow or other cousin to all families of distinction in general throughout scotland but to this one from its local advantages in particular i cannot pretend to show forth the various modifications of which cousinship is susceptible first second and third degrees as far as numbers and degrees can go and indeed i have already committed a great error in my outset by having introduced miss pratt by herself miss pratt when i ought to have presented her as miss pratt and anthony white in fact as whittington without his cat would be nobody in the nursery so neither would miss pratt be recognized in the world without anthony white not that there exists the same reciprocal attachment or unity of fortune between the aunt and the nephew which distinguished the master and his cat for anthony white is rich and miss pratt is poor anthony white lives in a castle miss pratt in a cottage anthony white has horses and hounds miss pratt has clogs and pattens there is something so uninteresting if not unpromising in the name that addressing himself to miss st clair you at present will scarcely care whether it belongs to a man or a cat and will be ready to exclaim what's in a name but do not expect long to enjoy this happy state of indifference by dint of hearing it repeated day after day hour after hour minute after minute upon every possible and impossible occasion it will at length take such hold of your imagination that you will see the mystic letters which compose the name of anthony white wherever you turn your eyes you will be ready to hollow out his name to the reverberate rocks and teach the babbling gossips of the air to cry out anthony white what's all that nonsense asked lady betty i've been rather prosy upon miss pratt and her adjunct that's all answered colonel delmore slightly i must have something to put away the sound of anthony white and he hummed a few notes do miss st clair join me in expelling those hideous names i have invoked for your gratification you sing i am sure but gertrude was afraid to comply for no one seconded the request lord rossville indeed looked evidently much displeased but it was no less manifest that his nephew neither thought nor cared for anybody's feelings but such as he was solicitous to please and before the party broke up he had contrived to make a very favourable impression on the only person present whose favour he was anxious to obtain End of section seven